Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from LCP Delta, the new energy experts. In the podcast, we'll be exploring how the energy transition is unfolding across Europe through conversations with guests from the leading edge of the transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today, we're looking at the world of clean hydrogen. Now, some things in the energy transition uh, generate a lot of debate, a lot of passion, and even a lot of emotion. And one of those is the extent of the role that clean hydrogen will have in the energy transition. Um, What we're going to do today is look at how hydrogen is emerging as playing a role in the energy transition. Uh, we'll steer away a bit from the extremes of the debate and bring to life some of the key trends we're seeing in the hydrogen market at the moment, because undoubtedly hydrogen will have a role and an important role to play uh, in the transition as we go forwards. To do this, I'm joined by a couple of colleagues from LCP Delta, Nerea Martinez-Ippolito. Hi, Nerea. Hi, Joanne. Nice to be here. And thanks for joining. And Brendan Murphy. Hi, Brendan. Hi, John. Good to be here. Um, So I thought a nice way to structure the conversation would be to pull out the three main trends you're seeing through the the work you're doing with the energy sector on clean hydrogen. Um, What are the top three trends that you'd identify as clean hydrogen starts to emerge? So uh let's dive in there brendan do you want to get us started with what the three trends are and then we'll take them one by one sure thanks john i mean in a way it feels like we've been talking about hydrogen as a serious solution in the energy transition for quite a few years now and for a couple of those years you know we've said this is a really important year for hydrogen but it really does feel like this year is one of those years is it Uh, is that a bit like is that a bit like Groundhog Day? Is it is it saying that year on year because the can's been kicked down the road, or is every year just seeing new developments, new milestones, new important steps forward? No, I think I think there were a few regions in the world, we call them hotspots, where hydrogen started to gain traction in the political world, started to get some attention from some sort of uh, champions. Uh, we had one in the UK, um, Quasi Quarting really push it up the agenda. Uh, but this year, we've seen really big movements in the EU. We've seen the, the IRA uh, act in the US. We've seen other countries really going heavy on hydrogen. And and some of the developing countries seeing the uh, societal and economic uh, transformative effect that hydrogen could have for them. Uh, so yeah. I think that, that that's where we are right now. Okay, so not Groundhog Day as in things have been delayed, Groundhog Day, as in every year, there are big steps forward, and we're seeing the flywheel starting to turn, the momentum starting together. Well, I think you're starting to see that intersection between the realization that uh, the, the 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 need to to bring down carbon emissions and to reduce our reliance on on old energy, uh, and the need to find new energy to replace that. And if you think about the 2050 date that, that is the globally accepted sort of cutoff point for you know, sort of one and a half, two, mm. two degrees maximum change, that only gives us 27 years to find solutions. And for hydrogen, it's still a very new technology. There are still lots of problems to solve there. 
uh, if you think about how long it took for the gas market, the natural gas market to evolve and become the global market that it is, hydrogen has a third of that time and it's still got lots of questions around some of those really simple and, and not simple, but uh, somewhat some base, of the fundamentals. Yeah. Some, yeah. Yeah. Some of those estab establish some of the really baseline things for to enable it to become what it could be. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, I've distracted you from your your three trends. Yes, give us, uh, well, give us the suppose, one, two, three. So the, the the one, two, three really is we're seeing a, a a huge ramp up in the pipeline project pipeline of green hydrogen projects uh, because yeah. of all the reasons we've just discussed there about the uncertainty around uh, around some of the, the key parts for, for hydrogen to be um, a major factor. The final investment decisions have been delayed quite often, repeatedly. Uh, the the, the Venture capitalists have seen the potential that hydrogen has, but your sort of standard project finance lenders and banks for now are still staying away from projects. But we expect that to change next year. Okay, so growing pipeline, but some of that pipeline struggling to get over that final investment decision line yeah. at the moment. Yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah. Number one. Secondly, uh, as sort of alluded to in the, the the opening remarks, you know, it's it's a global race. Um, it's a it's a very common element. It's it's got many applications across uh, the global economy. Uh, and what we're seeing in the market is uh, a race to to uh, to either uh, com basically competing over IP or volumes. So countries, uh, they, you could roughly roughly group these as importers and exporters. So the exporters are looking to win the race over volume, and mm -hmm. uh, importers are looking to win the race through IP and through uh, quickly transitioning their domestic uh, economies to hydrogen where they can to maintain com global competitiveness. Okay. I've got a and, question that we'll say for yes. unpacking it, uh, not for now, but just around the degree to which it will be an import-export market and the degree to which hydrogen will be generated locally and used locally within a country. But let's come back to that when we look at that second point about that global race. Mm. Um, third point? As, third, third point then really is, um, I suppose, naturally the focus uh, to begin with was around production, uh, how to enable the production of the fuel. Yeah, uh, I think that's been... Uh, ticked off and covered quite well in, in those hydrogen hotspots and, and other places. And I think now the focus is moving to uh, how to de-risk off-takers and, and actually the, the application of the fuel. Uh, yeah, where it will go. Who will use it for what? Yeah. Exactly. And and how it will get there. So the supporting infrastructure, how do we pipe it there? How do we ship it there? How yeah. much do we need to store and how much can we rely on old models like the gas model um, yeah. to sort of have a, a liquid and deep uh, commodity, uh, a globally traded commodity. Yeah. Okay. So to summarize the three points, a growing pipeline of green hydrogen projects, but getting a little bit stuck to get over the line in some cases. Secondly, a global race to develop hydrogen both from the exporter perspective and the importer perspective around volumes and around IP. And thirdly, focus on production is of in-train, ticked off to some degree, but the focus now is very much on offtake applications. Where will the demand be? Who will use the hydrogen first and for what? And I suppose one final point, which, which 
encapsulates it all really is that hydrogen as a, as a technology, hydrogen production, hydrogen use is, is not new. It's just new in a, a net zero uh, framework. So yeah, it, it, that that's the key challenge really is trying to fit that existing IP into a different policy framework to achieve a different outcome. Yes, hydrogen is used extensively in refineries around the world. And so that has been going on for decades. Um, Correct. Most of that is just not clean hydrogen. Yeah. Yep. That's okay. right. Um, okay. Well, let's look at each point in turn. So, hydrogen pipeline. Um, Nure, can you give us a feel for what that pipeline looks like, either on a country basis or European basis? Uh, help our listeners understand how much is in the pipeline um, or how much are at different stages of the pipeline? Yeah, sure. Um, so within the hydrogen research service, we we track green hydrogen projects across Europe. Um, and what we're seeing on, on high base is that the pipeline is growing by 100 times over the next five years. So in 2022, we reached around 200 megawatts of installed capacity across Europe for, for electrolyzers. But that pipeline is sitting currently around 24 gigawatts for 2027. So that's a really really big uh, ramp up and a big challenge. Uh, but we're, what we're seeing by uh, tracking that data is that a lot of the projects in, in the short term are actually being pushed back. Uh, so already for, for this year, we're expecting over two gigawatts to be installed. We've seen that now uh, expectation drop to around 1.5 gigawatts, and, and that's already halfway through the year, um, just because a lot of these projects are, are struggling. Uh, to get final investment decision, uh, that they're relying on public support schemes, which are still being drafted. Uh, the, the regulations and the standards for hydrogen are still being discussed and debated. Uh, so all of these factors are, are bringing a lot of uncertainty and, and making that pipeline get pushed back. And, and there's, a, there's a target um, across Europe for 2024. Um, that's around uh, six gigawatts of capacity. And as we see at the moment, we're going to miss that, that that target, despite the very ambitious uh, pipeline that there is building up. Yeah. Okay. I think those are fascinating numbers. 200 megawatts in 2022. 200 megawatts, yeah, it's a big number in some ways, but in terms of the European energy sector, it's a dot on the landscape, isn't it? It, it is, and uh, it's it's really impressive also when you look at the scale of individual projects. So yeah. looking looking at last year, your average electrolyzer was around four megawatts, um, with with two 20 megawatts being deployed by Iberdrola and, and Everfuel. Those are the largest uh, across Europe. Yeah. But when we look uh, five years out, your average project is around 350 megawatts each project. So yeah. it really uh, brings down to ground the 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 learnings that have to go ahead to to enable that scale up, um, and that's what's going to help draw down the cost uh, and scale up the market. And how much of that's due to the electrolyzer supply chain? Because mo- while most of this pipeline, am I right in understanding it would be uh, green hydrogen from electrolyzers rather Correct. than other sources of clean or cleaner hydrogen? Correct. Yeah. Uh, it. it 
comes down to the regulatory environment, the, the support schemes, the certainty, the, the off-takers that, that Brendan was discussing. So um, in, in the hydrogen economy, you can't develop large production uh, projects without knowing who your off-taker is going to be or what infrastructure is going to be uh, available. Uh, so it's kind of that uh, ever, ever quoted chicken and egg dilemma, right? Uh, the yeah. investment on, on production, need, it's dependent on on the other factors uh, of the project uh, and not so much um, kind of the, the, su- the supply chain for, for electrolyzer is more that the manufacturers need firm orders in order to yeah. also scale up. Um, so that we've seen a few of the, of the electrolyzer manufacturers wanting to build out larger um, manufacturing plants, but these decisions are also underpinned by their orders not being confirmed. So it's kind of, yeah. uh, everyone has to, take a step at the same time otherwise it just doesn't work and what what do you both think about that will will the standards it feels like it's a mixture of confidence standards uh firm offtake needed in terms of who's going to buy the hydrogen bringing that all together to move the pipeline forward it how quickly is that gonna happen how much of that 24 gigawatts do you think in 2027 will be in place or do you think actually to get all that in place to see 24 gigawatts in 2027 is going to be really tough because there's still so many bits of the jigsaw to come together to push projects over the line so i suppose uh what one of one of the the interesting challenges for hydrogen is, is it, it's so applicable in so many parts of the economy, um, which means it's replacing so many other types of energy sources, each with their own price and their own uh, characteristics and their own kit. Yeah. Um, which 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 means that each sector of the economy and each set of companies operating in that space require slightly different uh, business model or um, have different procurement strategies and have different risk profiles and have different risks associated with their sectors. Yeah. So the greatest challenge for policymakers really is trying not to uh, create a a planned economy, a controlled outcome, if you like, and and allow Mm. the market to decide what the the most efficient, uh, cost-effective um, route to market is for hydrogen uh, for so many different types and so many different parts of the economy. So the answer yeah. to your question is uh, we no one could really be sure. I, I sometimes compare it to um, sort of, if you like, technological innovation. So if you think about the mobile phone or another another sort of consumer product um, and and, and different manufacturers producing the same thing and everyone at the start is just learning how the thing works and how the technology works and and then over the course of time we learn and we 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 make learnings and we and we realize you know which innovations work both from a technical point technological point of view but also from a business model point of view and from a procurement point of view and then those you know if 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 those are discovered quickly enough, then you can unlock the potential much more quickly. But um, it, it, it's a very complicated picture. Yeah. And ultimately, I think the, the money flowing into that 24 gigawatts of pipeline, um, the investors, the people providing the finance need to be comfortable with the risks. Uh, and sounds like there's yeah. quite a lot more need to be done with that. 
yeah, and I, I wanted to just add there, John, uh, that pipeline is, is uh, keeps growing, you know, so uh, that number is what we're seeing today, but announcements keep spurring What's across. Uh, it's it's not it's a dynamic uh, market and, and ambition is definitely stepping up. We've seen it uh, over this, this year uh, when Europe launched Repower EU, uh, a lot yeah. of countries doubled their ambitions um, for, for electrolysis over the next decade. Uh, so this is what we're seeing today, but the ambition is, is definitely there. It's, it's getting it, the investment in the short term to to unlock those and start learning from, from projects that are on the ground. So keeping your uh, database, Hivase, up to date in a row is quite a challenge then? It, it is definitely yeah. expanding very quickly. Um, okay, let's move on to the second point, which was the global uh, race for hydrogen. Um, looking at that both from exporters and importers, who's going to uh, unpack that a bit more? I, I can start on, on that. I mean, uh, Brendan alluded to it in, in the introduction, but I think the market has been really underpinned in Europe by the announcements uh, of the US IRA at the end of last summer. Um, that's IRA for listeners that don't know it. Yeah, so basically on the hydrogen front, the US was offering up to $3 per kilogram a subsidy t- a tax uh, incentive uh, for, for clean hydrogen, uh, depending on the, uh, the, the carbon intensity of, of the hydrogen, essentially. But uh, the, the market responded to this, saying this is a very simple and well-understood tool, uh, whereas in Europe, uh, there's there's been a lot of uh, debate of, of how to best support clean hydrogen, what clean hydrogen should be subsidized. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it has brought a new note across the globe uh, of the, the need for a simple support mechanism that allows to speed up the market. Um, and, and we're seeing kind of uh, responses to this across Europe. So with the European Hydrogen Bank uh, offering 3 billion uh, in investment to, towards hydrogen, but we're also seeing collaboration. So earlier this week, uh, the president of EU, EU Commission, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, she's, she's been across Latin America, at inv- uh, announcement and announcing new deals uh, for green hydrogen investment. So with with Chile, with Brazil, um, just just really emphasizing the importance of that collaboration across Europe and, and export markets across the world. It's, it's not a task that one single market can do on its own, uh, but every market is, is trying to position itself uh, to, to be able to, to collaborate and, and export into this new global market that's emerging. So is it a, I'm trying to sort of get an image in my head of, is it a race between the US and Europe, for example? Is it a is a race a wrong analogy in that it's actually the US and Europe can support each other and build global confidence? Is there a fixed amount of money and focus that's going to go either more to the US or Europe at the moment? How much is it either or, or how much is it and in the next years? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so on the, on the investment question, um, I suppose in quite often it gets characterized as a, as a race, um, which implies yeah. that there's, there's a winner and a loser. In reality, um, it just really what happens is perhaps one area or one region wins a bit more because ultimately everybody will win out of this process if, it, yeah. if, if, if we're successful. So for now, uh, what, what, what we were talking about there with the, the, the inflation reduction act is that uh, it's, it's, 
more simply understood because it's a tax credit. It doesn't have any sort of complicated policy framework, like a, a, a sort of a, a CFD a contract for difference type arrangement. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. more easy understood. So for now, there 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 is a slight, a slightly more attractive uh, uh, look to the US, but in reality, um, the EU and um, and the UK and other and other places. Will always be investable. There are reliable, it's politically yeah. safe. It's a, it's a reliable place to put your um, put your capital. Um, and I suppose it depends on which race you're in. So if you're sitting in mm. um, places like uh, Namibia and South Africa and Mozambique and, and Chile, uh, the potential for hydrogen is is um, transformative. It it it's yeah. it has it it could have the same impact that. Uh, the discovery of oil and gas did in the Middle East, for example. I mean, if you take Namibia, yeah. if they realise their their hydrogen ambitions, it will more than double the country's GDP. Um, in a, in yeah. I can't remember the time frames, but not not a very long time frame. Um, and that could have enormous um, benefits. You know, much wider than than the net zero and climate benefits that we're we're, we're thinking about primarily in, um, in yeah. Europe. Yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, there's probably a lot more we could go into on the different. I think I like the way you described it, Brendan, of the different races, um, and it's not a matter of someone winning and losing; it's winning more. Mm. And I think what I'm hearing from you both is that the US is doing a good job of winning more in these early stages, uh, but ultimately there's a huge amount of effort going on a lot in lots of countries to develop the exports, to develop applications in the import markets and so on. Yeah, and I, I'd want to stress that, that, that Europe is still kind of really at the forefront of this, I think, mm. uh, that the US just kind of shocked the world with, with this announcement. Uh, but that's why it's so important that we really get kicked off on those early projects because that's what's going to be the competitive advantage um, yeah. learning by, by doing. Okay. Um, Third point was looking at um, beyond producing hydrogen, as it's naturally everyone. Well, the analogy maybe with renewable electricity is there's huge focus on producing renewable electricity. Everyone knows where renewable electricity will go. It will go displaced, dirty electricity, go into the grid, no shortage of applications and use and electrification of heat and transport. Hydrogen is different. Um, we don't have a hydrogen grid sitting waiting and ready so where that hydrogen is going to be used becomes much more critical um, and there's not widespread applications for hydrogen across different parts of the economy yet so uh yeah brendan talk us through a bit about the offtake for hydrogen lots of focus on producing it but talk us through some of the trends you're seeing some of the discussion in the market the industry questions about what happens once it's produced. Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I suppose that it's it's easiest to really describe uh, the, the challenges you just laid out by using real life examples from conversations that we've been having um, with uh, players in the market and clients. Mm. Um, most recently, uh, we were working on a project um, in the UK uh, with um, the power producers, um, the gas turbine operators in this country who currently burn natural gas to produce power, 
very important part of the um, power system to provide that flexible generation. Um, in this country, in the UK, we have a target to decarbonize that sector by uh, 2035, which is really just around the corner. No time um, at all. Yeah. Yeah, no time at all. And so they, they, they need to find an alternative fuel and uh, hydrogen, Partic green hydrogen. Sorry, John Gwen. Alternative fuel, particularly for that flexible generation, because, yeah, we'll need, uh, we'll have more and more renewables, but that role for that flexible generation definitely won't go away and may increase. Exactly. And, we're, you know, there's a, a, an expectation, which is a probably correctly founded expectation that large parts of the economy will be uh, electrified um, yep. and the demand for power will grow uh, enormously. Um, parts of that power will be provided by renewable energy, but by its very nature, that is intermittent. So we will need flexible, some type of flexible generation. Um, and the, the, the best shot we have right now is uh, green hydrogen in CCHTs. Now, that's fine on paper, but in reality, as you as you alluded to, how, how do you get the stuff? The, the single biggest uh, risk that we've uh, that we've been factoring into our modeling um, is around fuel availability and how you mitigate that risk. Um, and there, there are some real challenges there, not only because of the physical connectedness, uh, the, the problem that you're talking about, but also that other parts of the economy may also be demanding that hydrogen at points when you really need to produce the power. So it starts to bring out some really difficult and challenging questions around how to secure your supply of power. Um, how do you strike the balance between uh, providing enough hydrogen for other parts of the economy whilst keeping the power on? Yeah, yeah. So those are some of the really challenging questions uh, that that we face at the moment with, if you like, in modeling speak, the fixed input being your policy deadlines, um, yeah. 2050 being the ultimate one. And another sort of quite contrasting application of hydrogen could be hydrogen in trucks. So what you described, Brendan, is quite a small, smallish number of power plants using hydrogen, using quite large amounts of hydrogen. Nero, you've been looking at the market trucks and that's much more distributed application for hydrogen so is give us a picture of where where that's at is that something you see growing a lot across europe that hydrogen will be used in heavy goods vehicles yeah, uh, it, it is something we have looked at uh, recently and, and kind of uh, looked at it from a lens of in order to have a market for, for hydrogen trucks, you really need three things to be there. So first of all, the products need to be available. And we've seen from the manufacturers that uh, these hydrogen trucks are being developed and, and brought into commercial operations, uh, mostly uh, behind their kind of like electric models. But we are seeing um, from kind of the, 20, 20, the mid of the 2020s, uh, a big ramp up in, in that production. So that's going to be there. Yeah. Uh, but we also need to think about the infrastructure and the total cost of ownership and, and, and infrastructure in, in across Europe is also quite uh, missing. So we've seen also good steps in terms of the regulations supporting that um, and, and the kind of the, the forecast for the total cost of ownership could bring cost parity with, with diesel trucks at the end of the decade. So, you know, we, we see the market really ramping up from, from around 100 
heavy uh, uh, trucks with, with hydrogen today, uh, all the way up to like around 32,000 32, by the end of the decade. So a big ramp up there, also yeah. uh, an important application. Okay, and I guess listening to you both talk about this two different applications, it brings home the number of things that need to be joined together, not only the production, the distribution, storage that you might need for those uh, hydrogen turbines, uh, Brendan, and then making sure that the trucks are available, the turbines are able to run on hydrogen, uh, and the economics of that are compelling enough to attract investment. Uh, so huge amount of things to join together. Yeah, so in a very short space of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if we have time, I, 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 I perhaps we could just uh, think of another recent example of a conversation that I had with a major um, airport that um, is looking at their own uh, decarbonization plan. Mm. Um, and, and that in itself is a, a, a major challenge because that is a, sort of a multi-energy if you like a multi-energy dilemma and question, um, you start to think about questions like, um, should we run the airport as a pro- private wire arrangement and off the grid? Can we produce enough of our own power? Uh, how much hydrogen uh, can we store on site? Um, and if you th- start to think about that question, how much hydrogen do we need to store on site for, for example, for sustainable aviation fuel for the jets, you need to start looking quite quite far afield at what's happening in the policy landscape in other countries yeah. to get a sense of, well, how many jets are likely to land here yeah. requiring fuel, requiring hydrogen. Yeah. So that, that makes the investment question and the, the, the final decision quite difficult to make. So you need to almost break these decisions down into manageable stages um, in shades of certainty, if you like, uh, and try to spread your risk by not putting all of your eggs into one basket. Yeah, and I guess it makes the simplicity of what the US have done with the Inflation Reduction Act of giving quite a generous, simple subsidy um, and using that as a way to kickstart the market rather than trying to solve every problem. And there's so many problems, both of you just problems, challenges, opportunities, if I'm thinking glass half full, uh, but there's so many things to get uh, get lined up. Okay, let's bring out the talking energy, uh, talking new energy crystal ball. And I'm going to set the dial. I'm going to set it really short uh, in a short time frame this week, because I think with hydrogen, it's easier to think long term, but harder to predict the next years. So let's set it to 2027, just three years away. Use that sense of urgency, Brendan, that you talked about. And I'll ask you each for one, two, if you've got two you really want to share, two trends that we'll be seeing in the market in 2027. So we've gone through the three things you're seeing at the moment. What's your top one, maybe two trends in 2027? Uh, Nora, let's start with you. Okay, thank you, John. Um, I think think in 2027, and first problem we're addressing uh, regarding the the investment pipeline and kind of the modularity of projects, um, I think we'll we'll see a gigawatt scale market already across Europe where we see the the size of projects uh, reaching the hundreds of megawatts already. We will have understood really well from 
the first projects deployed kind of the the, the the investment proposition mm. i think the, the the risk of investment from from that side will be minimized and we will be focusing on, on further on kind of the the infrastructure um part of the puzzle and understanding kind of not only the first off takers but we will start thinking about further further markets where hydrogen clean hydrogen can play a role in decarbonizing such as the power sector the marine industries aviation yeah. industries and, and so on Okay, so we'll have unblocked that pipeline. Not blocked, that's too strong. But uh, <laughs> and the, the focus would have moved on to, from the first off-takers, onto other areas. Okay. Um, and um, have you got a second, or is that, that sum up your view, Nora? I think if we're, if we're thinking about the, the second trend we're talking about, about that global race, I think, yeah. uh, well, we see the, the H2 global mechanisms which aim to bring um, imports of, of hydrogen derivatives start uh, really bringing those those imports in 2025. So I think by 2027, we'll have a good indication already of, of which markets are best positioned to to be exporters and, and potentially start to to see which kind of hotspots are the preferred countries to to bring um, hydrogen in, into Europe, potentially see some consolidation there or start to kind of think of, of kind of coalitions between those countries, uh, potentially the, maybe the, the beginning of, you know, start to see wh- which markets will, will proliferate and which ones are kind of fall, fall down the race potentially. Yeah, okay, so move from what you described with Namibia as an example, Brendan, that being uh, a study, a huge opportunity to that actually starting to move forward and exports starting to flow or a lot a lot more clarity on where those exports will flow from. Yeah. yeah. And pot- pot- sorry, uh, Brendan. Uh, potentially, I think also kind of a opportunity for these markets to set uh, some standards and pricing if, if they have a kind of that, that power over yeah. the, the markets importing, I think that we could still see the beginning of that. Okay. Yeah. That, 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 that's similar to what I was about to say, which is I think that you start to see, for example, that, you know, as Nareya says, we'll start to see imports coming in around that point, from, uh, mainly from um, the, the Middle East, from the NEON projects. And if you like, that starts to create the price benchmarking. So. Yeah. You mentioned the Namibia projects. I, I had a conversation last year, an investor conference with the project developer for that for the hyphen project in Namibia. And the single biggest risk for them or issue for them to resolve was price setting. How do you how do you set the price for the fuel? Mm. So I think we'll start to see benchmarking, pricing pricing mechanisms, perhaps not things like clearing houses, but that type of thing start to emerge. Thinking consolidated thinking on how that how that needs to be um, how that needs to be done basically yeah okay very interesting um, Brendan your uh, prediction for 2027 as to what the topic of conversation will be what will be the key trend so picking up a point that Naria just made at the end there about uh, if you like seeing more obviously where hydrogen is more naturally produced um, and places where it's less naturally produced uh, or easily economically produced, um, you sort of start to see the, 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 the import exports lines becoming clearer. Yeah. Um, I expect that 
by that point in 2027, we'll see quite a lot of interconnection between countries and projects across the European market. Um, perhaps a little bit less so in the UK, simply because of um, geography and physics. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think you'll start to see a something resembling an import-export market through ports and hubs um, and import corridors. Um, yeah. So I think we'll start to see an ever we'll start to see the uh, the lie of the land becoming more clear. I think. Um, okay, and I referenced Europe. earlier, Brendan, that sort of balance between in-country production and demand um, and imports to match. Uh, to to yeah. demand. So I guess that what you're saying is that will start to become clearer and we'll see cross-country flows as well starting to emerge and maybe not be in place, but that pattern start to become a bit more uh, certain. Well, exactly. So if you take an investment today where you're looking for a low-carbon hydrogen agreement and an off-taker agreement, something along those lines, you're setting a price and the off-taker agreement might be sort of 10 to 15 years, which you, is a manageable risk because you don't yeah. expect imports to start arriving in volumes and setting prices really meaningfully until a bit later than that. So you could probably de-risk that with um, you know the support schemes that are available mm. in Europe and the UK. Mm. But after that, when you start to butt up against the import, when you start to see the tension between created by imports arriving into Europe uh, you may naturally think, well, I, I, the, the production, the cost of production, the levelized cost of production in, in the country that I'm operating in just isn't cheap enough. Yeah. I can get it cheaper somewhere else. You start to get that natural market force applying yeah. in hydrogen. Yeah. Okay. We better draw it to a close there, keeping on time. Um, lots more we could have talked about and dived into. And I think from what you both said, we're at a fascinating phase in the development of green hydrogen, uh, only at the very, very beginning. Um, see, uh, be visit, revisiting the topic a lot more in future podcast episodes. Brendan, Nareh, thanks very much for your time and sharing your thoughts. Pleasure. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks, as always, to everyone listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode and it gave you some new perspective, new thoughts on hydrogen and even what it might mean for your role in the energy transition. So look forward to welcoming you back next week. Please remember to rate us, to send us ideas uh, at Talking New Energy for guests, future episodes, future topics, and look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you enjoy the podcast, then please rate it and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then you can keep in touch with us and look at our research insights, podcast transcripts, and download reports, all at www.lcpdelta.com.